James writes, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Pastor Norb. Good morning, everyone. So glad you're here this morning. Um, I love what God is doing uh, here at TCC and over at Southwest. These are really exciting days uh, for us as we travel together. Transitions are going very well. Uh, There's a beautiful spirit of God's uh, presence among us, and so we're so grateful for all that He is doing. But there is something... It's been a tough February. It's really been a tough February, uh, especially for those who have to work outside. I have a neighbor. His uh, name is Brad. <clears throat> and I see him every morning from my office study at home. And he's out there in his warmest of clothes. And off to work he goes. He's uh, constructing new homes. And he's got to be at it day in and day out. And I thought, oh, I admire him. I admire his tenacity from my little warm office out to him getting all his products into his uh, truck and getting ready for the day. Certain professions are just not easy. Uh, They demand a lot of physical energy from day to day. I have a relative uh, who is a carpet layer. Uh, So he's on his knees every day. Uh, And you know what that does to the knees? Uh, Day after day, month after month, year after year, he's been been at it for so many years, you get camel knees. Uh, Stand beside a carpet layer at a swimming pool, and you can immediately tell, oh, he's a carpet layer. You just have to look at his knees. Uh, The author of the book of James wasn't a carpet layer, but he had knees like those of a camel. They were a bit stretched, and they were hard, very hard, and they called James old camel knees because he spent a a good part of his life on his knees. It's true. And uh, tradition goes, and I think it's fairly accurate, that he indeed was called Camel knees, kind of as a, a nickname, James the Camel Knees guy. And it was not a disrespectful term, uh, but one of honor. He was respected as a man who was always on his knees praying. Oh, what a great reputation to have that you have camel knees because you're on your knees praying. And if you look through his letter... Uh, you will identify many places where he is reminding us of prayer. And we come to one of those passages this morning. 
we have six verses to look at. And do you know how many times I count the word pray or prayer in those six verses? No less than seven times. Seven times in six verses. Camel Knees is teaching us about prayer because he's already doing it. It's not theoretical. It's part of his life. It's part of who he is. Love it. And what is he doing? He's allowing us to look into his personal world. And what a privilege that is that we can learn about prayer from James, the man called Camel Knees, the half-brother of Jesus. And if he needed to pray, oh, what about us? And he would tell us that life without prayer is like a beautiful new automobile without gasoline in the tank. It looks good, but there is no power. We are missing the very essence that makes life full and adventurous and meaningful. If we just hobble from one Sunday to the next without our own prayer time, without our own time in the Word, and we siphon out just enough from this service to get us through to next Sunday, we are missing something. We are missing the power. We are missing the spring in our step that comes from abiding in the Lord all week long. One of our prayer priorities, uh, the first one that we're, we've just developed at Southwest these days is that everyone have a consistent prayer time. Everyone praying. Wouldn't that be awesome? Everyone in the, in the congregation would be having a consistent time with the Lord every day where you open His Word, you read, you feed, and you pray, and you get to know the Lord in a more personal way. So here we are, and we're nearly at the end of our study. How good to talk about prayer before we sign off. Pastor Nord will conclude the series here at TCC next week uh, with the very last few verses. Now, what are we to pray for? The underlying question that James is posing uh, is, what do we pray for? What do you pray for? And maybe you're praying the very things that James is referring to. I'm sure you are. When do you pray? First of all, pray when you're suffering. Pray when you're suffering. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Now, that's a question. If I were to ask you to put up your hand this morning, I won't, but if I were to, I think a lot of hands would go up among us here at TCC today to the question, are you suffering something very hard in your life right now? Are you suffering something that's very difficult for you right now? The word hardship or trouble is more inclusive, this Greek word, than, than any one kind of trouble. It kind of runs the gamut from maybe physical hardship Maybe emotional hardship, maybe spiritual hardship. Maybe it includes uh, discouragement or anxiety or exhaustion or doubts, anxieties. I mean, there are just so many things that bring trouble or hardship in your life. Trying to solve a nagging problem, perhaps, these days that just won't go away. Trying to settle a relationship issue that exhausts you. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you can't get it fixed. I mean, it could be anything. 
So what do you do when trouble comes your way? And maybe we don't pray immediately because we're mad, (laughs) because we're angry at the situation. Maybe we just get extremely frustrated with the situation and it takes a long time before we finally turn to God. But when our lives are unraveling, when we're really struggling, we're inclined to say, Oh God, help. I need you. It was in 1968 on an airplane headed for New York City. A routine and normally a very boring flight. But this time it proved to be otherwise. As the plane was on its descent pattern, the pilot realized that the landing gear was not engaging. Passengers were told to place their heads between their knees, grab their ankles just before impact. And then with the landing just minutes away, the pilot suddenly announced over the intercom, we're beginning our final descent. At this moment, in accordance with the international aviation codes established in Geneva, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you should commence prayer. (laughs) Scout's honor. That's exactly what he said. Now, no one died in the landing. Uh, The plane was uh, pretty badly banged up because it landed on its uh, underbelly. But amazing, the only thing that brought out into the open a deep-down secret aviation rule was crisis. There's nothing like crisis to expose the otherwise hidden truths of the soul. Some of you have read Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He said, it was only when I laid there on rotting prison straw, that would be in Siberia, that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Oh, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. I, I watched a little video clip this week. Some of you remember when Mount St. Helens in Washington State uh, erupted 30 years ago. Uh, you can Google it. The, the guy who was being interviewed was actually a reporter who had a sense that this thing was going to erupt. He had a sense of that. No one, he, how, how could you know? And, and he, he actually got up to very, the very top of this uh, volcano, and uh, he was up there when the thing blew. And he literally, literally ran for his life with camera rolling and the mic on, And the pictures were blurred, of course, and dark, but his voice was something else. You'll have to listen to it. It was eerie, almost too personal to be disclosed. I mean, he breathed deeply, sobbed and panted and spoke directly to God. No formality, no cliches, just the despairing cry of a creature in crisis. Things like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, help, help more. And then then there'd be sobbing and panting and breathing and spitting and coughing and panting. And he would say, oh, it's so hot. It's so, please, God, God, please, please. (laughs) There's nothing like crisis to expose the otherwise hidden truth of the soul. Any soul. And after crisis comes, then God comes in to comfort us and to teach us. But James says, what do you do when you're in trouble? What do you do when your plane is about ready to crash? What do you do when a volcano erupts? What do you do when you have a flat tire on the side of the road, it's minus 40, it's midnight? What do you do when your bank account is low on funds? What do you do when you get the measles? 
What do you do with you, when you have tension with your boss? And when you have stress in your home and your flight gets canceled? What can you do? Well, James says, because it's the gamut of life, it's time to pray. You can pray when you are in pain. Does he promise that the pain will go away? He doesn't say that. Does he promise that the problem will be fixed? It might be. And oftentimes it is. But oftentimes it's not. So why do we pray that God would give us the strength for this situation? That God would begin to flow his strength into uh, this particular situation. It's not about never knowing pain again. Because that's unrealistic. But it's about handling the failure It's about handling the stuff that has gone through your life that has made you feel so wretched. And and it's about the struggle that you're, you're experiencing. It's about handling the pain that comes into your life. We pray because God gives us what we need to get through that valley to deal with that deep, deep wound. And we'll never know. We'll never know just how much God was there. And he was arm in arm walking us through it. And that's why we pray. We come to God. We come to the one who loves us. He loves his children. And he loves it when we come to him and we cry out in desperation. And you aren't limited in coming once a month. That's your quota. Or you you can come more than one time a week. You're not limited to coming just once a day. You can come every moment of the day. You can, you can come all the time. You can absolutely bring him your trouble, your affliction. And you will find that as you come, he begins to lift the burden. He begins to give you the peace. He begins to give you the grace. He gives, gives you the strength. So James says, when you're suffering hardship, come and pray. Open your heart to God and just tell him you're suffering. You can do that. Secondly, pray when you're happy. Pray when you're happy. Are any one of you happy? Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Now, this is another time in which uh, you can come and, and, uh, and find your place in prayer. It takes the form of praise. And I find that it's a great way to start your quiet time with the Lord every day. Start it on this note. Start it with praise. Start it with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Psalm 100. And as you open up your quiet time with the Lord, start right there. How much, how good it is just to be able to come to the Lord with thanksgiving, with praise in our hearts. Start by saying, God, you've been so good to me. And then just rattle off a bunch of things where he's been so good. What about a warm place to live? What about a car that works? What about a job that you have? What about your family? What about your friends? What about your home group? What about a church family that that you love doing life with? So many things. I often say, God, thank you for the privilege to serve you. I said it this morning. Thank you for the privilege to serve you, to do... What I love to do more than anything in the world. Thank you for that privilege. That's an awesome privilege. 
So this is a really significant part of prayer, lifting our hearts in worship and thanksgiving, saying thanks to God for who he is and for what he's done. And praise and thanksgiving in all of life. And you know, folks, maybe we even get to that place in life where we can say, thank you for the pain that you brought into my life. We have really grown. Thank you for bringing me through such a hard experience in my life. And now we can look back and say, God, by your grace, you were with me. When I felt alone, you were with me. You helped me land on my feet. When I was so angry, you were with me. When I was paralyzed with fear, you were with me. I was frustrated with myself and you were with me. I listened to John, uh, Jen Johnson's song this morning on YouTube. It's called uh, Come to Me. You ought to Google that and listen to that. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And, and in the midst of all that we're going through, the song says that God is there and he's with you. And he's, he's right by your side. He'll never leave us. And while I never want pain again, I do thank you for all you've taught me and the way you have kept me. And not to have pain is just unrealistic. So secondly, pray praise when you're happy. Thirdly, pray when you're sick. Here's a verse that we know pretty well. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, it's been really good for me to look at this passage again. Because I've had to wrestle with this all week long. (laughs) And that's good. That's really good. First, I admit that it's not an easy verse or two because the reality is that not everyone is healed when we as elders of the church anoint with oil and we pray over them. I wish it were true that it's a 100% healing rate. It's, it's not. I've just seen my brother-in-law pass away at the age of 69. Yes, he was prayed over. He was anointed with oil. And early this year, the Lord took him home. What do I do with James chapter 5? Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Let's just stop there. The reference is to a a person who is sick. Now, the Greek word has the basic meaning of being weak or feeble. Maybe, Maybe bedridden is also descriptive here. Unable to work, unable to go about normal life. So the person is very sick and set aside. Uh, So what is uh, the bedridden or very weak person to do when sickness comes? What's that person supposed to do? To take careful note, number one, call for the elders of the church. The sick person is to initiate the invitation of the elders. We often kind of think it should be the other way around, that the elders should initiate this or that the church should initiate this. No, it is to be initiated by the one who is sick. There are some who are sick, and they don't want anybody to know. And we've rushed in too quickly, and it didn't go well. Sometimes we feel we should initiate because 
We're the leaders. But it appears that when the sick person makes the first step, it is a helpful step for that person to prepare himself or herself for what God is going to do. It's important to be able to say, when you're sick, I need God's help. I want God's help. I'm incapacitated, and I need his touch on my body. So this person is going to make the ask of leaders to pray for him or pray for her. Now, you notice back in verse 13, the person who has trouble is praying for himself or herself. Now we're in verse 14, and the person who is sick is what? Reaching out for the prayers of the leaders of the church. I don't think it's inappropriate for the leaders to suggest that the sick person call for prayer from the elders, but the bottom line is that the request for prayer must come from the one who is sick. Why is that so important? So the person who is sick takes responsibility for their life, for their walk with God, for the confession of their own sin. And so they come to this time with the elders with their hearts right before the Lord. It's an indication that they've come to grips with their own need for God and His intervention. But there's something else that's really important, and that is that the sick person can pray through and think through if this is what the Holy Spirit is directing him or her to do. It's not always God's will for a sick person to call for the elders to pray the prayer of faith and be healed. Because one day, all of us have to die. And we don't know what timing that is. Whether it's in our younger years, or our middle years, or our senior years, we don't know. Our calling of the elders is not like, well, goodness, we've given everything else a shot, let's try this. Let's just go for it. This is an opportunity for the sick person to listen to the Holy Spirit and to seek to determine what God is saying to them. And this can be a very difficult thing to assess. I know that from experience. Sometimes the person is just too ill to think clearly, uh, much less pray with concentration about God's will. Uh, But some have simply said it this way. We have a sense. We have a sense as we pray that this is right, that we call for the elders of the church or the leaders of the church. We have a sense that we should do this. We have a sense of that. So we invite the elders to come. There are many who would never even consider calling for the elders of the church to come. And I want to say that if you uh, are are set aside by illness, uh, Now or in the future, you have a heart to call for the elders. You do that. You pray about it. You ask the Lord for direction in that. You listen to his voice. And if you sense that the Lord is saying, I would like the elders to come, you call for the elders. The second thing that happens after the person calls for the elders is the anointing with oil and prayer. We typically anoint with oil... And then the leaders of the church pray for, uh, for the sick person, one after another. So someone anoints in the name of the Lord, and then we all pray for the sick person. The original language combines the two actions, pray while anointing with oil. <clears throat> pray while anointing with oil. Now, some have suggested that the oil in this context 
means medicinal. In other words, oil is the medicine that is to be applied for the healing of that person as in the case of the Good Samaritan, remember, who poured oil on the wounds of the person who was robbed and assaulted on that road going down to Jericho. And so that was that massage of oil for the wounds. So have you stopped to consider that the oil might be like a massage or putting healing oil on wounds? In the New Testament, that made a lot of sense to do that. That was the medicinal practice. That was the practice. And then to pray. So it's an important picture that the church is to respond to the whole person, to both the physical and the spiritual needs of a sick person. So we would encourage people to ensure that they're being looked after by their doctor, get the best treatment possible, so James wouldn't see any conflict between prayer and medicine. In many cases, back in the New Testament days, this might be the right interpretation, medicinal. For us today, it's not medicinal. It's a symbol of the working of the Holy Spirit, that the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit who indwells and watches over each believer. In this case, it sets the sick apart to be ministered to in a special way by the Spirit of God. They're anointed with oil. They're set aside to be prayed for and, and blessed by the Spirit of God. And when applied by the loving hands of the elders, it is a profound means of bringing encouragement and comfort and healing. I have to say, personally, over the years, we have prayed for so many people, anointing them with oil. And one of the dearest things about doing this is the closeness that we feel to the person that we're praying for. Oh, our hearts get knit together so closely, so quickly. There's, there's so much value in this whole sense of standing alongside. It's the ministry of presence. It's the ministry of prayer. And how encouraging it is for the person who's being prayed for. God just does something in, in the hearts of the person who is sick which prepares them to trust God for the days to come. It's a tremendous, tremendous encouragement. So the second thing is the anointing with oil and the prayers of the elders. Uh, and then, uh, and again, I would say if there comes a day when you feel like you need to call for the elders of the church, you pray about it, but, but call, ask. There's a third thing we do when we pray for the one who is sick, and it's the last few words of verse 14, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> we come as prayer intercessors in the name of the Lord which I might say would be like requesting the will of the Lord. We come what, wanting whatever, whatever the Lord wants, the name of the Lord. We come seeking to be obedient to the way that God is leading. And when we come to pray as elders, we're merely seeking to be obedient to what we say, sense God is saying to us. Above all else, we want to know what God is saying and how God is leading. So we come leaving the results up to the Lord. It's not the oil that heals. It's not our prayers. It's not the elders. We would all agree that it's God. It's, it's a God thing. It's God who heals, and he's powerful and sovereign. So we pray according to his will in his name, and we don't understand the ways of God, 
Sometimes people are healed. Uh, Another time a person is not healed. I don't know why. I don't know why. No one does. None of us can figure it out except to say that God knows and God is sovereign and He is in charge and we just trust Him. We just trust Him. So in honesty, while you and I would both love to see everyone healed, such is not the case. And all I can say is, Father knows best. That is beyond our scope. But I just say, don't let that deter you from praying for healing. I mean, you could get discouraged and say, well, God doesn't heal. There's no use praying. And that wouldn't be a correct statement. Or you might get going too fast and say that God heals everyone, and that would not be correct. We come in the name of the Lord. We come according to His will. We come trusting in His sovereignty. Don't be discouraged. Be faithful to pray and allow the results to be from the hand of God. That's our part, to be faithful to pray. That's our responsibility. Verse 15 tells us that we can pray in confidence that as God shows you how to pray, and such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Again, it's, it's important to be balanced in our understanding of healing. And Paul had to wrestle with it too. I mean, this isn't just our issue. Paul was wrestling with it 2,000 years ago. Remember that thorn in the flesh? And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and God just said, no, my, my grace is going to be sufficient for you to carry that. And there was a reason that Paul needed to, to have that thorn in his flesh. We read about a man called Epaphroditus who was, the Bible says, sick unto death. And he was eventually healed, but it took a long time. No one can understand all of these mysteries. But what we do know is that we can ask God as to how to pray. And when we just don't know, we can go ahead and pray for healing. But in our hearts, we also know that God maybe has something in mind that we know nothing about. Fourthly, pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know, there are some people who are sick who are bedridden today because of sin. The accusation of sin, the inability, maybe the unwillingness to deal with sin is the reason some people are sick. James is acknowledging that. Paul acknowledged it. Remember when he said in 1 Corinthians 11 when he was talking about communion, That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Now, not all physical illness is due to sin. We know that for sure from Scripture. We've got some good lessons from Jesus on that. But in some cases, there is a connection between sin and physical breakdown. And James is saying, keep short accounts. Pray for one another. Have a place where you can be vulnerable with a couple of other people or maybe one other person and share what's going on in your life. Find a person that you have confidence in and then confess your sins 
and pray for one another. Oh, does that ever speak of the importance of having someone close to you in your life? Or a home group. Certainly a safe place where you can say, I have this bitterness in my heart. And it's doing a number on me. I just can't get past this. And I ask you to pray with me on this issue. Would you pray with me? Would you hear my confession of, of anger and bitterness? And it's a mutual confession. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. What kind of healing? For sure a healing of forgiveness. For sure an emotional healing. Maybe even a physical healing. I'm recalling a gentleman in our former church uh, years ago who was the town drunk and who was also, also the town grump. I mean, he, he was pretty well known in this town and he suffered from rheumatoid arthritis very severely. He met Jesus. He met Jesus. And uh, his sins were forgiven. But he wasn't healed instantly. But over the following months, the Lord also healed his body. Uh, and not only were his sins dealt with, but there was physical restoration of the body. And the rheumatoid arthritis was taken away. It had been so crippling and so debilitating. I mean, it's an incredible God story, and only God. And that's what God uh, wanted to do. And the, this, uh, this man's family came to know God, and he was such a totally different person. This is an amazing transformation. And it, it just showed the implications of, of what sin had done in his life through the years. So surely you need to proceed with much wisdom and caution and trust as you open your hearts to one another in confession. But how life-giving and how renewing to find a person or a small group in which you can share your pain, you can share your sin and ask people to stand with you and to pray with you. So four ways uh, in which we can pray as we come... Uh, close to the end of the book of James. Pray when you're suffering. Uh, pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sick. Pray for others as they confess their sin and they're vulnerable in your presence. You can pray for them. You can help restore them. I don't know, have you seen the table that's set for us this morning from way in the back? It's a table of prayer. There's a lot of prayers that were prayed prior to the history-changing event of the Lord's table 2,000 years ago. There were prophetic prayers through the years that a Savior would come. There were the prayers of Jesus Himself as He prepared for the cross. Into your hands I commit my, my spirit. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And then there's our prayers. Lord, forgive my sin. Lord, be my Savior. And today we come in prayer around this table, thanking the Lord for His goodness. And if you're facing hardship, wherever you are this morning, you too can come. And if the Lord just turned on a light bulb to say, you know, I've been talking to everybody else about this and I've been complaining about it, but how much have I brought that to the Lord? You can come this morning. Come with your need. Come with your hardship. And just tell it to the Lord. If you're happy, oh, come and celebrate the love of God. Come and celebrate the amazing grace that comes through this table and through what Jesus has done. And if you're sick, 
come and say, Lord, you're sovereign in my life. If you want to take away this affliction, I offer it to you. I ask you to take it. But I'm all about what you want to do in my life, Lord. And if you desire to confess your sin, these are great moments to do so. And if you need reconciliation with another person, maybe here today or somewhere else, do that. The bread and the cup are the symbols that Jesus used to remind us of his suffering and his death for us. So his invitation is to come and to worship. Come and receive the gifts for your own renewal. And if you aren't at the place today where you can say, uh, Jesus, you're the Savior of my life, I pray that as everyone partakes today that you will say, where am I? What am I going to do with all of this? So just feel comfortable to allow the bread and the cup to pass if, if you're not quite there this morning. So I'm going to invite Pastor Norb to come. He will invite the servers, and we're going to gather around the table this morning.